Would you stand in the presence of the reading of God's Word? This morning we're in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. Jesus is speaking and says these words, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the word of God for the people of God. The first word in our text today is the small word if. If. Just two letters, small word, but it has a big impact on the meaning of this passage that we just read that tells us about Jesus being with his disciples on that last night before his crucifixion. He's been with these disciples now for three years, according to John. They have lived together. He's had private time with them. They've seen him teach and heal and preach publicly. And yet, when they get to this moment that's so profound in terms of what Jesus is saying to them and the task that they're being handed... He says, if, why would he say if to this group or his closest friends, his most faithful disciples? I mean, he's getting ready to hand the task that God has given him to them. And he says, if you love me. Well, remember that John begins to tell us about this last night in chapter 13. And just in 13, in the first part of 14, before where we read today, It's good for us to remember that when Jesus got to that Last Supper, according to John, he describes not the Last Supper as much as this washing of the feet that Jesus does for his disciples. But when they get to Peter, Peter argues with him and says, oh no, not me. And they have to have a little discussion to clear that up. So Peter is having a little trouble understanding. And then Judas has already left dinner by the time we get to the portion we read today. Peter and Thomas have both already voiced concern about where are you taking us, Jesus? Where are you going? How is this going to work? They're concerned about what's getting ready to happen. And then, of course, we read a couple of weeks ago, Philip saying, well, if you would just show us the Father, then we would be satisfied. Or near, then we would understand. We would be ready So we get to this portion, and John tells us that Jesus says, If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. To be with you forever. What a promise. Jesus had just said to these that he's not even sure are loving him enough to really be dedicated to him. I'm sending another one that will be with you forever and empower you always. What a huge promise we have in this passage today. 
that God's Holy Spirit is available to each and every one of us, is available to lead us in our lives, to empower us, to show us the way. But this passage also says that that becomes most active or that Holy Spirit power is activated in this relationship of love and devotion that we can develop with Christ even as the disciples did. Jesus is reminding them that it's the relationship between He and the Father and between He and His disciples and that this is a relationship of love. That the way this spirit works best is in a relationship of love. And of course, throughout John, Jesus has talked so much about how close he is to the Father. And he reiterates that in our passage today, that I and the Father are one. But then he says it's the same between us. That if we have the same love and dedication, the same power you've seen in me will be yours as well. In another church I was in, we wrote a little summary of how we understood this. We called it being a 3D Christian or a deeply devoted disciple. And what we tried to describe there was what a life looked like that truly was fully in love and completely committed or deeply devoted to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And the way we summed that up was to get very specific. And so we talked about that if you're committed to this relationship of love, you need to really think about how that impacts your life. So we talked about it impacts how you use your time, how you use your money, how you treat those around you, how you set priorities for yourself and for your family. Those kind of things all coming around to line up with the way Christ taught us. How do we work prayer and Bible study and worship into our ongoing schedule? It's different for those who are casually committed and those who are deeply devoted or wholeheartedly devoted. The particulars make a difference. The if in our reading today reminds us that we have to make a conscious choice to commit to Christ if we want to experience all the blessings that are available through the power of the Spirit. That we have to put ourselves in place by our choices and our actions and our commitments to understand fully what Christ is promising us here. But he says the advocate, the Spirit of truth, Jesus says, will in fact teach us and remind us of all of this. Well, we've been trying to remember all of this in this sermon series, Blessed Are Those Who. We've looked at different aspects of that from the New Testament. We have said we experience the blessing of Christ initially when we believe. We also talked about that we experience the blessing when we participate in Holy Communion. Then we went on to talking about the blessing it is of knowing His voice and following His way. Two weeks ago, we began to talk about the fullness of God and both divine eminence and transcendence through Christ and the blessing that is to understand the vastness of God and yet the closeness of God. And then last week, we talked about the blessing of the unity within the body of Christ, that even when we disagree, we're to embody that loving spirit that Christ embodied in terms of how we deal with one another. I think you can sum it up by saying it all begins with God's love 
flows to us through Jesus Christ, but remains with us or present to us, active in our heart and mind through the Holy Spirit. And understanding all that and experiencing it is a life of blessing. But Jesus says, oh, there are many blessings, but he names three that I saw in our verses today. I want to make sure we touch on those three before we finish. First, Jesus says that this advocate will bring us the very presence of the Father and the Son. Did you hear that in verse 16? Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. Just as he's preparing to physically leave, he's promising that his presence is coming back, will be available, and in fact, we can receive it. The very presence of God can be ours in our daily living. And yet we don't always have that experience of feeling the closeness or the presence of God. The three years before I came here to be your pastor, the bishop assigned me to be a district superintendent. I was sent to the Stillwater District west of here. had about 45 churches I was to take care of, to encourage, to oversee, to receive their reports. So every Sunday I was at a different church. Sometimes two or three churches on a Sunday, sometimes gone all day because of meetings at any number of churches within the district. But then on top of that, as a district superintendent, there's a number of meetings you go to Oklahoma City to be a part of. Then we have cabinet meetings with the bishop also in Oklahoma City. So I found myself traveling a good deal. I was gone a lot. I didn't care for it. I miss my wife a lot. My wife Mary didn't get to go with me on all of those trips. But it was such a joy each time when I got to come home just to be in her presence. Just to be back together again. We didn't have to do anything in particular. Just being with her for me is a comfort and a joy. It's almost a healing experience after I'd been gone for several days just to come back and see my wife. Her presence made a difference in my joy and my comfort and my health. Jesus is saying we can experience that kind of comfort from God. In fact, a number of translations, rather than using the word advocate, which we read today, put in that spot comforter. Jesus is saying, I will send you another, the comforter, that will be with you forever. What a wonderful promise we have. Secondly, Jesus goes on to promise that this presence also brings life. In verse 19, In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. It's a promise of life and life abundant and life eternal. All through this Gospel of John, there's this thread or this theme about life. And that life lived to its fullest is life lived with the Spirit as Jesus reveals it from God. If you remember those powerful words in the opening of this Gospel, John sets up this whole idea of life coming through Christ. Do you remember those? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. What has come into being in him was life, and it was the light of all people. And the question is, is do you experience that, and can anybody else see it in you? Do you live your life in such a way that it's animated by God's very presence and spirit so that others might wonder, might see, might experience that God is alive in the world? I've been using a little different phrase at the end of the scripture reading during this series. I've been saying this is the word of life. Usually we say the word of the Lord or the word of God for the people of God. But because John talks about that so much, I wanted to emphasize that. This is a word of life. So many people think that what Jesus brought was a bunch of rules. Well, he gave us some guidance and direction, but he brings so much more than that. He brings us the very life of God into our midst and promises that it will be with us forever. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, he says. Because I live, you will live also, he says. It's a promise of life for each and every one of us. The third thing Jesus reiterates is the coming of the advocate brings a life of love. It's a certain kind of life he's promising. In verse 15, you remember, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But then in the last verse we read, verse 21 they who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father. And I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is a personal promise for each of us. John talks a lot about love of the world in his gospel. And certainly that's part of what this is all about. But at this point, he's talking about a very personal kind of love that Jesus says God has for each and every one of us. Debbie read for us that account of, Act, uh, account of Pentecost out of the book of Acts. It's a very dramatic, kind of bombastic story of a roaring and rushing wind and loud noises and tongues of fire and, and fiery preaching. And yet John tells about the coming of the Holy Spirit to the disciples and it has a very different tone. It's much more personal and quiet. It's much more intimate. Do you remember that one? It's found over in the 20th chapter of John. You can flip over there if you want. Chapter 20, verse 19. This is how he describes it. It's on the day of resurrection, John has told us. He says, when it was evening on that first day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
such a personal invitation. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God is yours, he is saying. Will you receive the Holy Spirit? As Bill prayed earlier, I think those who came before us were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Oh, they had a church building before this one down at 5th in Boston. But it came time, they decided that they needed something more, something bigger to accommodate all of the folks who were coming. Dr. Rice was the fellow who was the pastor. Five years before they actually came into this room on that Sunday morning, Ironically, it was June 9th, 1924. Five years later would be June 9th, 29, when they came in here for the first time. But that five years previous to that, Dr. Rice appointed a committee, and they met on that second Sunday of June, 1924, and began to talk about designing a new building that would accommodate this growing church. They wanted it to be a modern building, something different, something fresh and vital. Well, according to the notes, they had a lot of disagreements. They had a lot of arguments. They couldn't agree on what it should look like and exactly how things should be situated. But they came through all of that, and by May 16, 1927, they came here to 13th and Boston and broke ground to begin the building of this wonderful structure. They had a big march. October 21, 1928, from 5th in Boston to 13th in Boston. The sanctuary wasn't complete yet, but the hallway behind me, the classrooms, community hall below us, those were ready to go. So they met in those rooms and worshiped down in the community hall for those months while this was being finished. And then on that second Sunday of June, a Pentecost Sunday, they came in here to worship for the first time and consecrated this space to the honor and glory of God. That it might be a place where people would experience the power and the presence of the divine. When you write about how they conceived of this, it is beautiful. Dr. Rice was sent to another appointment before they finished this building. They invited him back to be the preacher on that Sunday morning. I want to read just a few words of what he said that morning. I think it applies to us even yet. He talked about how splendid the building turned out, that there were marvelous appointments and exquisite art and art deco features. But then he added what he called a word of solemn warning. All this cannot make a church. Is it not to provide creative conditions for fulfilling the task Jesus gave to his disciples and through them to us, the task namely of bearing witness to him? Here then is the thing, he said, that we, we are set to do in these beautiful surroundings, witness to him. For our goal was to move toward the deeper meanings of Jesus, which every stone, appointment, line, and color leads may it be so in our day that this is a place of holy spirit power and present which points any and all who might enter here to the revelation that has come to us in christ jesus our lord let us receive the holy spirit anew this very day and go forth to witness to christ and to his mighty love for all of god's children might it be so in our lives if we all go forth with that spirit 
God will change lives through each and every one of us. Amen. And thanks be to God.